Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gonzalez. My goal for the podcast is to help you live a better life in retirement by giving you the tools and information you need in a language that you can understand. If you are a new listener to the podcast, this is episode number 120. And because this is a weekly podcast, that means for the last 120 weeks, we have been doing this Retirement Made Easy podcast. And you will find that we are no nonsense. We are straight to the point, giving good advice and guidance on this podcast. In fact, a listener a couple of weeks ago mentioned to me that he liked our podcast because we leave out a lot of the fluff, which for me was a huge, huge compliment. I really enjoyed hearing that. And listeners are always encouraged and invited to submit their questions through my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. That's retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. At the bottom, it says, ask Greg a question. You can submit your question there. Most, I would say 95%, if not more, of the questions are very friendly, very polite. I do get some of those that are kind of edgy. We're going to cover a couple of those today. Today's episode is just focused on listener questions that have more of a tilt towards investments. And I find that so many people, when they think about retirement, they just think, okay, the only thing I need to plan for here is the investments. As long as my investments are working the way they should, I can kind of forget about everything else because the most important part of retirement planning is the investments. And that's very, very far from the truth. If you have been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you will have learned that there's many, many other components and factors you need to be planning for. So please, again, submit your questions, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. At the bottom, it says, ask Greg a question. That's how a lot of these people are submitting their questions. And for those people that want to take it a step further, I do offer a 30-minute retirement coaching call, which you can schedule right there on the homepage. There's a link to my calendar. Now, all of those people that I've talked to so far have been great, awesome people. I've really, really enjoyed those conversations. Nobody has been even remotely unfriendly or disrespectful or anything like that. The people I have those coaching calls, I mean, those people have been terrific. I've really enjoyed that. So if that's something you're interested in, again, you can schedule that right on right there on the website. And while you're there, there's free resources such as my retirement secret sauce and my three steps to a retirement process. You can download those as well. So let's jump into today's episode where we're going to be going over three or four different listener questions that kind of have a tilt towards investments. The first question is submitted by Anne, and she asked, Greg, I really enjoyed the bucket episode, the three bucket episode. I feel like I really understand that strategy. Can you please recommend how we should invest three buckets and then what accounts we should put in each bucket? Thanks so much for the podcast, Anne. So for those people that haven't listened to the bucket episode, that is episode number 72. We'll put that in the show notes. One of the most popular episodes that we have. I will quickly recap for those of you that haven't listened to that episode. Bucket number one is your emergency fund bucket. Bucket number two in retirement is going to be your income bucket. And then bucket number three is going to be your growth bucket. That bucket is going to be going for growth because we know the cost of living 
over a 30-year retirement will just eat you up year in and year out. So that growth bucket is a crucial component that a lot of people forget about. This is a great question that Anne submitted. As far as what investments to put in the three buckets, it's not going to be the same for everybody. Let me give you an example. Picture this couple that they, uh, husband and wife, they both have pensions, they both have social security, and they don't need to draw much money out of bucket number two for income because there's the gap between what they live on to meet all of their retirement dreams and goals and their pensions and social security income is a small gap. Let's say it's $1,000 a month. Well, in that scenario, then we know, okay, most of their portfolio, their retirement nest egg, is going to be placed into bucket number three for growth because the cost of living years and years down the road is really their biggest danger in retirement. Another thing to consider is if I give specific recommendations like, okay, everybody needs to put this investment in bucket number two. Well, that's just silly because I don't know anything about the listener. I don't know their risk tolerance. And by that, I mean, what is your risk appetite? What kind of risk are you comfortable with? That's going to dictate what investments are most appropriate for you. And I am in one of the most regulated industries known to man, the financial industry. So at the end of each episode, you'll see this huge disclosure. I mean, it just goes on and on, it seems like. Well, that's because this industry is so regulated. So they regulate what I can say on this podcast, my compliance, because this podcast is meant to be educational and not to give specific advice for every single listener, because everybody's situation is so, so unique. We have different retirement goals. We have different income needs in retirement based on the lifestyle we want to have. We have different levels of experience with investments. And so therefore, it's counterproductive to give specific investment advice to a blanket of the population because it might actually be more hurtful than helpful for some people because if I said, and, okay, put this in bucket number one, which is your emergency fund. And that's per that's actually easier. I mean, that's going to be money markets, checking, savings, maybe some high yield or high interest earning bank or credit union account. It needs to be liquid and accessible. Now, where you go, that's totally up to you. It could be your local bank or credit union. You might be comfortable with an online bank or credit union. Again, totally up to you. Bucket number two, this is the income bucket that Anne had mentioned in her question, her email. And of course, this is going to need to provide income. Now, how you do that, Anne, I mean, it has to match your risk tolerance, your risk appetite, and it needs to be reliable. There's no magic bullet. This could be dividends. It could be interest. Some people use annuities. I cannot specifically tell everybody, all my listenership to say, hey, this is the way, the one and only way that you should invest bucket number two. Again, I can't. It just, it wouldn't be right. And I think it would do more harm than good. And then bucket number three, of course, this is our growth bucket. This is because the cost of living, and some people fight me with this, but that's okay. They're wrong. <laughs> the cost of living is your biggest danger in retirement. Every year, everything you buy will cost more. So the purpose of the growth bucket is to get ahead of inflation. We know if you're retired 30 years that the price of Cheerios is going to go from $4 a box to $9 a box in those 30 years. 
So how are you going to have an income, a retirement income that keeps up with the cost of living? Well, that's the purpose of our growth bucket, bucket number three. The point of this podcast is not to give cookie cutter investment advice. If you want cookie cutter investment advice, there's plenty of firms out there that will offer that. What I do at my company, St. Louis Retirement Advisors, we are very customized with the advice that we give. So it's a little bit different than some people are used to, and that's okay. We're proud of it. Other places, they offer the cookie cutter stuff, and God bless them. Great question, and like I said, there's a reason why I'm not giving that specific investment advice in the buckets. Question number two comes from Rob. Rob says, me and my wife are both 62 years old. We intend to claim our social security benefits at age 70. We have about a million dollars saved in our 401ks. We want to live on about $80,000 per year. And then when I look at our benefits at age 70, our social security income is about $78,000. If we get no growth from the 401ks, we should still have about $360,000 left in our 401ks upon reaching age 70. Does this sound like a good plan? Happy to hear your thoughts and suggestions. Thanks, Rob. So this one's a little difficult to pin down, Rob, because there's a lot of information I don't know. But some of the things I would consider is, okay, if you're living on $80,000 now at age 62, when you're 69, are you still going to be living on that same $80,000? I would suggest that you're not going to live on that same $80,000 because the cost of living between when you're 62 and 69, that's seven years, is going to increase. In that seven years time, what will minimum wage increase? Around here, minimum wage goes up between 50 cents and a dollar a year. The price of a stamp. Find me a seven-year period where the price of a stamp didn't increase in value. So that's one thing that Rob is kind of missing in his, in his planning. And his planning is very, very simplified. It doesn't have to be elaborate to be successful, but we need to consider everything here. The other thing I'll mention is Rob talked about his social security benefits, and I would want to see if really we're maximizing those benefits by claiming them both at 70. A lot of times uh, it makes more sense to take one of the benefits at full retirement age and let the other benefit defer. By doing so, it's probably going to help you from a tax standpoint because not all of your social security is going to be taxable. So I would want to do an analysis on that. I think it would be very, very helpful, Rob, to really take a deep dive down to look at your social security benefits. And I'm not saying that claiming at 70 is the best, because I, I haven't done the analysis. It might be. The other thing I'll point out is that he mentioned living on $80,000 per year but if all of his money, he mentioned just that he has a million combined in the 401k, you don't just take $80,000 out and live on it. You got to take $80,000 out plus taxes. So his 401k withdrawal between 62 and 70, I mean, he might be taking out $100,000 a year. 20000 goes to Uncle Sam. He lives on the $80,000. I don't know because I, I don't know what state Rob lives in either. So what would his state income taxes be? $20,000 in taxes might be a little high depending on where he lives. So one thing I identified was 
that Rob is just looking at the net withdrawals. He's not considering the gross withdrawals, which if you're taking out $100,000 out of a million dollar portfolio for eight years, that's $800,000 of withdrawals, leaving you 200,000 plus any growth. So I don't know if that's the best plan because I ran into someone at, at, I used to do seminars. I used to do educational seminars. And I had one woman that attended my social security seminar. And she said her plan was to live on her 401k as long as she could to delay social security as long as she possibly could. And then when she ran out of money in her 401k, she would flip the switch to social security. And then she would have a guaranteed paycheck for the rest of her life in social security. And I just really question the wisdom in that. Because you lose all liquidity when you do that. Yes, you're maximizing your social security income, but at the cost of what? And in this woman's scenario, she was single, at the cost of depleting her 401k, her retirement nest egg. And I just think that might not be the best trade-off. That's all I'm saying. So getting back to Rob's question here, again, he's got a million bucks. Him and his wife are both 62 years old. They want to delay their social security till age 70. And then they want to live on $80,000 a year between 62 and 69. And then when they're 70, their social security benefits are going to be about $78,000. Keep in mind, Rob, once you turn 65, if you jump on Medicare, you're going to have to pay Medicare Part B, which right now it's 170 bucks a month. And hopefully you have that factored into the $80,000 per year that you're living on. But I really don't know about this one. This one kind of has me a little concerned, Rob, because we're kind of forgetting about the cost of living inflation, right? And I would rather see you factor in not only taxes and what plan is the most tax efficient, but also inflation. And if I'm living on $80,000 when I'm 62, what am I going to be living on when I'm 70? It might be 90,000. It might be 100,000. I don't know, but I know it's going to be higher because the cost of living eats us up year in and year out. So Rob, I hope that helps. Again, I would want to do an analysis on that before I gave you any specific advice. And the last question was, I guess, kind of anonymous. It was submitted by S. Smith. And this person asked, why do retirement planners like yourself make retirement much, much more complicated than it really needs to be? For example, if the S&P 500 averages 9% per year and I only withdraw 5%, it seems like my money will last forever. Why does this have to be so hard? Love to hear your answer. And again, this was submitted from S. Smith. This is a good question. Um, it kind of comes off as a little snarky, but I don't care. I don't mind one bit because it, it is a good question at heart. So the first point I will make, S. Smith, is that the S&P 500, it's a stock market index, which there's index funds like Fidelity's S&P 500 index or Vanguard's S&P 500 index. There's, there's a ton of them out there. Well, if somebody is going to invest in the S&P 500 index in an index fund and get the 9% that you're talking about, they have to have an appetite for risk that matches that index fund. 
So if I'm going to invest in that for the long term, I got to stick with it. Well, I think it's fair to say that most people don't have the risk appetite to invest the vast majority of their retirement savings in the S&P 500 index. There's a software that I use that gives the S&P 500 index a risk score of 85. Like in 2008, the S&P 500 index was down 37%. So a million-dollar portfolio dropped 37%. So quick math on that, a million dollars dropped to $630,000 in one year. And guess what? If you were taking a 5% withdrawal from that account, you wouldn't be down 37%. You would be down 42% because you took a 5% withdrawal that S. Smith had talked about. So your million dollars fell to $580,000 in that one year. So what S. Smith is not aware of is there's what's called sequence of return risk. So when you're taking a withdrawal from the S&P 500, from your portfolio, whatever it may be, you've got an extra risk in there that is due to withdrawing money and not adding money. So S. Smith brought up, okay, over the the long haul, yes, the S&P 500 will average 9%. Well, guess what? Retirement is not a 50-year, for most people, they're not retired 50 years. It's around 30 years, right? And I have, I've talked about this endlessly on this podcast. The average American retires at age 62. And if you look at a 62-year-old non-smoking couple, their joint life expectancy is 30 years, meaning the wife in a traditional marriage is projected to live until age 92. So if we're planning for 30 years, let's look at the S&P 500 in 30-year segments. So let's just look at the last 22 years, let's say, and not even 22 years. So let's say somebody retired with a million dollars on January 1st of the year 2000. Let's say their portfolio is invested it just like S. Smith says in the S&P 500, we'll use the Vanguard S&P 500 index. And let's say they took out a 5% withdrawal. And we're going to adjust it for inflation because the cost of living goes up. They're going to need more to spend each year. Well, guess what happened? With those assumptions, they ran out of money in 16 years. Their S&P 500 index fund ran them out of money. It didn't make the 9% like it was supposed to and they were taking that 5% withdrawal. They're broke. They're out of money. Well, what happened? What happened with S. Smith's plan? Well, S. Smith was assuming that the S&P 500 index was going to return 9% per year. But guess what really happened? Between the year 2000 and the year, the end of 2016, which was the year you would have run out of money, the S&P 500 only averaged 4.4% per year. And during that time, you went through two recessions, two very significant recessions, like the tech bubble, 2000, 2001, 2002, and then the financial crisis, which happened in 2008. So where our question was submitted from S. Smith, S. Smith is assuming that the S&P 500 is getting an average return of 9% per year. Well, guess what? That's over a 50-year average. And in retirement, we don't have 50 years. A lot of people have a lot less than 50 years. So there are times, certainly, 
when this magical plan of the S&P 500 that S. Smith is talking about doesn't work. However, there are other times when it would work just fine. But really, in those instances, you really just kind of got lucky. So to answer S. Smith's question kind of directly here, look up the sequence of return risk. It basically means when you're taking withdrawals in retirement, in those first five years, if you suffer major losses in your portfolio, you're going to have a much, much higher likelihood of running out of money at some point in retirement. But if you have fantastic returns in those first five years of retirement, the chances are much, much lower that you run the risk of running out of money. So I hope this episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast has been helpful. Again, listener questions can be submitted through my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. For those of you that want to sign up for a 30-minute coaching session, you will find that right on the homepage of the website. I will see you next week. And remember, always dream big. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, tax advisor, or financial advisor prior to investing. This is a hypothetical example and is not representative of any specific investment. Your results may vary. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices mentioned are are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The Smart Investor Program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor Smart Investor are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, Memra FINRA, SIPC.